UX Podcast Episode 195. You're listening to UX Podcast coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, Pat Axbolt and James Royal Lawson. With listeners in 177 countries, from Denmark to Armenia. Jared Spool is the founder of UIE and co-founder of Center Center. He started working in the field of usability and user experience in 1978. Before those terms had even been associated with computers. Um, we've had Jared on the show before to talk about UX strategy and net promoter score. Um, first one there was way back in episode 88 and then more recently in episode 179. So we have the, the bonus that it's the second time this year we've had Jared with us. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, but this time um, we got to sit down with him in person at, in Stockholm at the um, from Business of Buttons conference earlier this year. And uh, Jared gave his talk uh, entitled Beyond the UX Tipping Point. And he was arguing that we are now at a point in business where UX is a primary differentiator. And Every single part of the organization must be infused with an understanding of great design. So in this interview, he walks us down the path of infused UX design, protectionism, maturity, and not quenching enthusiasm. He even gives us a brief tutorial on how business and finance works. So you took us through a couple of models in your talk. and. Uh, uh, so we went from the dark ages of UX design, and we've talked so much about this. We need to actually make the designers a part of the team inside the company. But then you're saying, well, we can't stop there. The next step is infused UX design. What does that mean? Uh, so infused UX design is when uh, you have a, the, the team that's producing, all the people who are influencers on the team, even the ones who aren't designers, are... Uh, are now designing. It uh, sort of goes back to the mantra that, that I get in trouble for, which is everyone's a designer. Yeah. Uh, uh, exactly. And, <laughs> and you actually had a quote at the end around, uh, imagine if you could stand uh, at a whiteboard and just draw a concept, not even a sketch maybe, a right. concept, and the developers in the room would just get it and design it the right way from the get-go. Yeah, and the product manager yeah. would immediately yeah. say, right, that's mm. what we should do, even if it takes longer. Yeah. And the... Uh, and the legal compliance people would mm. be able to, to look at it and say, right, that's, that's going to meet our goals of making sure that we do all the things that we need to to comply. And that's what a design-infused organization looks like. They're, they're, everybody in the team understands design. Mm. You say you, got, you get a lot of stick for saying everyone's a designer. I mean, I mean everyone, everyone's taking part in design decisions in a in an organization right. that's designing stuff. Mm. So what kind of stick do you get for saying everyone's a designer? Oh, because people are are tied to the role. Well, if everyone's a designer, what do I get my raise for? Mm. Oh, so it's titleitis. Yes, it's, 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 it's this notion of roles over skills. Mm. And uh, the people who, who get very upset is that they don't, they, they worked very hard to get, you know, a business card that said designer, which by the way, if you go to Moo and you pay $19, you can get a business <laughs> yeah. card that says designer on yeah. it. Um, they, they, they'll even let you pick from any of 20 fonts. Mm. Um, so uh, this, uh, this argument is, is one of protectionism, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it's, if everyone's a designer, I have no place in the world. And I get that, that 
and you, of course on Twitter, you, you're not allowed to be nice to people, so you can't comfort them um, uh, and tell them, no, this is uh, not necessarily true. Uh, but but the and the thing is is that is that so many things are not getting fixed in the world that mm. we know are broken and we're not getting to them because they're big hard problems and we spend all our time drawing dialogue boxes out in 17 different states. Mm. It's interesting because when when I talk about ethics, people say, well, that's not my responsibility because somebody else took that decision or made it. And so that's yeah, excellent. That, so that's actually counter to what they're saying. Because then, so you're saying you're not the designer then because somebody yeah, else made it. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, amazing yeah. how we are the advocate for the user <laughs> yeah. until it actually requires yeah. we're responsible. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, no, 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 exactly. no. There's a product manager who makes decisions for me. Uh, I don't have any authority and I like it that yeah. way. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if that connects, uh, connects up to the, the whole um, vision thing design vision because of course if you're if you've got your focus on your title and you know your titleitis and this is my realm right then you're 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 not sharing the vision enough no you're probably not you're 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 probably keeping it to yourself because there's power in secrets mm. right if i'm the only one who has the vision then i get to say and no one can figure out how to replace me mm -hmm. so so yeah, I think there's something to that. Um, uh, but the vision for it to work has to be everywhere. Mm. Mm. Uh, everybody exactly. needs to, to understand what the vision is because they all have to march towards it. If they're not marching towards it, they're, uh, they're not going to get there. Mm. And that connects really well to what you were saying, that the team's maturity is based on the least mature person on your team. Right. They need to understand it or else it's not going to work. Right. Yeah. I mean, mm. this is this for a lot of teams mm. is a revelation. Mm. This idea that that uh, they can't ignore that person. Mm. They have to actually help educate that person, and that that's their job is is to do that. And if that person is is not getting design, it's your fault, not theirs. And then you're saying, that, so what's our job then as design leaders? It's not to design, but it's actually to teach. Yeah. I mean, it's it's to help organizations mm. become more design mature, mm. and you do that by first making them mm. uh, literate mm. so that they can tell the difference between good and bad design and then making them fluent so they know how to make design decisions and then eventually uh, they can they can start to master the craft. Mm. But if we can just get everybody to fluency, that's going to be huge. True. Because that then aids our communication. Because if we're, right. we're helping drag up the people who are lower down, if, they can, yeah. if the people who are lower down I mean, in the organization Think about fluent. sitting in a room with a bunch of people who don't speak the same language and nobody is fluent in anybody else's language. Communication goes a lot slower. Hmm. And, and so this is, you know, that pushback that I get on, well, you know, I, I keep saying that designers that learn to code are more valuable to teams because suddenly you're speaking somebody else's language. Yeah. And people say, well, we, nobody ever talks about how developers should learn design. And I'm like, no, actually, I have whole talks on this topic. <laughs> I just gave one. Uh, uh, in fact, developers should learn design because, again, if as soon as people in the room have a common language, and it doesn't matter what that common language is, communication gets a lot more effective. Mm. And design is really just about communication. So our designers are designers getting done? it? I said, no. this is where we high five. Oh, yeah, and okay. just give up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. the shortest podcast we've ever done. That is undoubtedly <laughs> true. <laughs> but sooner or later, we just know what, where we go. So 
I guess that's it. No, <laughs> but, but but are are designers having a, a trouble understanding that this is the direction they need to be going, or or are are they fighting with their organizations around it? I think they're. I think what happens is a lot of designers are so in the weeds all the time that they are resistant to having to learn anything that gets them that is more than what their daily routine is. And the idea that they have to learn to be influential in an organization is really hard. And it's not something that they learned in design school mm -hmm. if they went to design school. And it's probably not something that you can easily pick up through osmosis if that's how they picked up design. So so it, it requires a, a set of skills that uh, are very foreign. And I think people are naturally resistant to having to, to do that, particularly when you feel like you're running at a thousand miles an hour and only getting a few meters every day. Yeah. I just mixed units. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, um, uh, it really is what design was really about. If we really want to make change in the world, if we want to make the world a better place, we have to think on a bigger scale. Yeah. And we can't just keep immersing ourselves in the day-to-day. -day. But because of our practices, we, we actually keep ourselves down. We mm, keep ourselves yeah. immersed in the day-to-day -day because we don't work to getting the people around us more literate in design, more uh, fluent in design, which requires that we have to do all the talking. Yeah. And we have to describe everything out in ex excessive detail because they won't understand it if we don't do that. Mm. I think you're right there about the when you when you're in these like middle stages of of um, UX design as a service and and embedded UX design, then you are so you potentially or so many designers are so swamped in the operative. Well, like you, and part you've got, of you've it, got Jira's, you've yeah. got you've got teams that are demanding you know, seventeen sketches of, of yeah, of and and part floor. of it is is that is that to be good at UX design as a service or to be good at embedded design is actually different from each other. And different than the next level up. Mm. And so you actually have to shift gears and start behaving differently. The behaviors that got you here are not necessarily the behaviors that will get you there. Exactly. You've got to, you, can't, you can't continue. If you, if you just continue um, fulfilling those stages, you can never lift to the next one. Exactly. It's not, an, it's not a gradual evolution to the right. next stage from them. Exactly. Uh, that problem is a, a tricky one. It requires that you keep doing what you've been doing, but also do this other thing. Mm. Yeah. And slowly shift to it. And this takes time. This is, this is, these, mm. are, these are not things that you do in a weekend. Mm. This is not you go to the offsite and you come back and everything's different. Do you think it will progress naturally? So it's not a question of if, if it will happen. It's how much time and effort should you put into it happening? I think it progresses naturally, but there are also lots of forces that are always trying to keep it back. You have to always be mounting a resistance to it, otherwise you'll you'll just it'll just overtake and, and you'll be you'll be stuck where you are. The push to optimize having a design team and optimize all the different ways that that design team serves all the other teams actually um, is resistant to a team that says, you know what, we don't want to use your design team anymore, we want our own designers. The first reaction is no. Mm. You're not allowed to do that mm. because all of our internal systems break. <laughs> and the problem is, is that when you go to embedded UX design and you have embedded folks, you have to still connect them to that design team. And, and the design team now 
uh, you know, this, this, this discussion that we're having around design ops and things like that, that's sort of that, that realization that we have to support these uh, outside teams. Yeah. The design hub, the design yeah, ops. Yeah. The de design hub concept. Mm -hmm. We have to support these outside teams and we have to form a community of practice. And, and they report to the people inside the team, but they dotted line report to... Uh, the design folks, and they need to be in touch with what other teams are doing because if they're isolated in silos, we're back into spot UX design. So we can't we can't have them be isolated. We have to have them communicate, but that's a whole different communication structure than when we were all co-located and everybody was switching up and mm. and we were just doing utilization hours. And so there's uh, there's lots of different. Um, uh, issues that that come about because we are not uh we're not thinking in those terms and when you're embedded and you're the designer in the team uh you're resistant to the idea that a product manager might make a design decision because you know what's what's my job if the product manager makes design <laughs> decisions right and but we want the product manager mm -hmm. to make design decisions. We, you know, at the same time that we're resistant to the product manager making design decisions, we complain every time they make the wrong decision, mm -hmm. right? And and you know, we see ourselves as the you know the we're wearing the designer cape, and we come in and we are you know we've got our designer pajamas on, and we are solving the team's designer villain issues and and we're, that's our job is to fight crime and why are they you know they just should stand back while we fight crime and and but th that approach doesn't work you know we if, if if everybody fights crime it works a lot better so so uh and if we just educate everybody so that the criminals just don't realize that they're they're bad doers then we work go better, and I think I've taken that metaphor far too far. <laughs> so, so getting to so getting over the UX tipping point. I mean, you um, you worried me a little for a little while today when you said you had 130 different kind of plays. Oh, you thought I was going to go through all of them? I was worried. Mm -hmm. I, yes, I did yes. think that. Oh my, we're up to lunch now. Um, <laughs> well, you thankfully just chose three of them. Just three. Just three. So there's 127 more. Yeah. So let's take number four, five, seven. No, okay. Um, so what, what the three, the three that you shared with us today? What are they? Well, you weren't taking care. He's got pictures. <laughs> got pictures. Uh, uh, I've, I've got my notes, but you know. <laughs> uh, uh, the three that 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 I shared today were uh, immersive exposure, shared, uh, uh, shared under. Shared vision experience vision. Shared experience He's vision. Got notes. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, 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 a culture of continuous learning. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, the immersion. The, the immersion we've we've talked about previously. The kind yeah, of yeah. need of, of everyone getting out there and meeting meeting real users mm. um, or people in your team. Um, but today, I think the an extra take home on that one for me was the fact that you've got to get, make sure you know that's the way you're bringing up the people lowest in your team. Again, right. Focus on those ones. Those ones that need to get out there first. Exactly. Yeah, I mean those are the those are the ones that that make all the difference. And we, mm. you know, anybody who's been doing this for a while has had the experience of getting a stakeholder to come to some sort of user research session, and it's like a religious experience for them. Mm. They walk out of there going, "Oh my, mm. yeah. we can never let that happen again." We need mm. to. Uh, uh, why? Why have we not done this before? Why <laughs> did it take us two years to yes. do this? Like, right, then right. you have the challenge. You've got to get yeah. them to slow down because they want to fix absolutely every let single them thing. Fix they saw. No, let them. <laughs> 
Absolutely, let them. I, you know, I don't understand this slowing them down thing. Let them, and then and say, okay, we're going to test your ideas. Let's yeah. do it, yeah. and then they will see what happens. Mm. They will naturally slow down, mm. right? <laughs> why, why hold them back? I mean, it's like I don't understand. If someone's got passion and energy to to make things better, mm. let them make things better, mm. even if you think yeah. it will make things worse. Let them try, because chances are it won't be any worse than them not doing anything. Mm. And the last thing you want to do is is quell their enthusiasm. Mm. Is there a Swedish word for quelling enthusiasm? Dämper. Enthusiasmen. I mean, I fell, I fell straight back into the whole the title thing there, or at least the realm, being scared of my realm, because you, know, you see them, the stakeholder goes out, Stakeholder goes to the session, sees lots of real user behavior, and he's completely seen the light, come back and wants to fix everything. And I'm thinking, oh my God, they're going to disrupt everything while fixing it. But you've got to be brave then. That's the thing. We need to be brave designers. Let them disrupt everything. Mm. Right? Let them see the... See, you know, it's... it's uh, uh, someone's just learning how to cook. And they go to the restaurant, and, and they get their favorite food, you know, Swedish meatballs, which I now hear are Turkish. And um, <laughs> so they get their favorite sw- formerly sweet, you know, meatballs formerly known as Swedish. Uh, uh, um, Former king stole them from Turkey. <laughs> and and uh, sorry for your loss, by the way. Uh, my thoughts and prayers. The, the, um, they, uh, they, they, they have that dish and they go home and they try and make it. And it's not as good as what they made, right? Do you say to them, don't try to make it? Don't, don't. You will never make it that good. Hmm. Let the professionals do it. You will never make meatballs that good. Or do you say, no, no, let's take it apart. Let's go back. Let's taste the spices. Let's, ta- let's see how long they, hmm. they simmered the meat. Let's, you know, whatever hmm. it is, let's try and, and understand it. And now it gives you a chance to have a conversation about the next level of skill hmm. that it takes to get there. Let them have that that failure, right? Uh, you know, for uh, how are they supposed to learn hmm. if we're always protecting them? And at the same time, we talk about how important failure is. I, I don't understand this this dichotomy, right? I, I, you just let them do it. We did it. None of us. Hmm. You know, the sun kept rising. Hmm. It, it rises on schedule every morning. Well, not here, but everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> here it only rises two thirds of the year, but the the uh, um, it uh, the universe will not change if they actually make it worse for mm-hmm. a moment, except for the fact that they will now understand that this is harder than they thought. Yeah. And they will have more appreciation for the skill that goes into it. And then you want to encourage them to continue. Mm. Yeah, that, that takes into the, um, the culture of continuous mm. learning. Exactly. And it feeds into that. Exactly. I mean, who stopped us from yeah. making those mistakes? And, you know, if we think we didn't make those mistakes, we're fooling ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And now you made me think about how, because you also made the point about uh, people saying you know, it's okay to ship something even if the design is not finished. Even if you're not satisfied with the design, you think, well, we can fix that later. So it seems that it's okay to be failing in design continuously, but everything else has to be on par before you release it, like the brand and the engineering and the code and everything. But design, not so much. Yeah, mm. I, I think I think the organizations that learn how to experiment with mm. design but not ship it mm. 
do much better than the mm. ones who ship their experiments. Mm. And uh, I think that the ones who ship their experiments, uh, uh, they're just building up design debt. And that design debt gets more and more expensive down the road. Because you have some users who learn the crappy way because they have to use the product and they yeah. master it. And then you, when you go to change it, you get them all angry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because as soon as you've released a design, it's a design. It's out there. It's being used. Yeah. It's no longer an experiment. Right. Or it's not being it's an used. an experience. And you're never going to get them to use it again. Mm. Everything's an experience. Right. Good or bad. I mean, how many products have you tried when it was version one and you're like, not interested? Mm. Um, our version of Craigslist, actually, uh, it you're looking around like something's happening. Yes, you probably can't hear yeah. the speakers oh. that that <laughs> indicate that that we are now supposed to be somewhere else. Ah, oh. <laughs> they're starting the show back up. Excellent. Uh, I don't know where to take it from there. Well, we had a question from last time that we yes. had to ask. One uh, question. Um, so, w how do we communicate our value more? Was that the question you want to ask now? Yeah, it's around really our value to the business. This is about helping yeah. organization move on. Because we're we so bad at these conferences at understanding how do we fit into the business. We, d we talk about design and how we design well, but we don't talk about how we fit into the business. And we don't spend time as designers understanding economics, finance. Right. How do we get there? <laughs> uh, I mean... <laughs> Sure, it's a short answer. Yeah, you, you, you learn. Yeah, right. I mean, the the, the um, uh, business is not complicated. Uh, it's obviously not complicated. Business people learn it. Mm. Uh, the 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 thing about business is that it uh, it has a different vocabulary. So you go through the same stages, right? Mm. First, you have to learn about the vocabulary and you have to learn the difference between a good business and a bad business. And people don't understand the simple things about their own businesses. Like, you know, how does the business stay in business, right? Where, where does the money come from? Mm. You work for a bank. How does the bank actually work? Where's the salary money come mm. from? People don't understand this, right? What is... What is the notion of profit for a bank? Uh, um, uh, you work for a nonprofit. How does the nonprofit stay around? How does it continue to, to you know, people donate money? Okay, I get that. Mm. You spend it on the, whatever the mission of the business of the nonprofit is. Okay, but there's all sorts of stuff that isn't the mission that goes on. I mean, you're maintaining a website and you're building apps, and you know, where's the money for that coming from? And how come there isn't more money for that? You don't understand how what that how that works and what those are. You're you're you're, you're just going to wander around wondering: Can I do this? Can I not do this? Is this feasible? Is this not feasible? Or how can I help do it better? Right? If I can, if I understand how donations work and how fundraising works, I can actually potentially change the amount of the design to make fundraising less frictionful. Hmm. And make it easier to get money into the organization, which might mean we get more money in, which might mean we can spend a little bit more money on making a better website hmm. or, or, you know, buying some tools that I wouldn't get to use otherwise or, or whatever it is. And if I don't have that knowledge, we're, we're, we're failing, right? 
So, so we need to we need to understand how the business works. So you start there by just getting basic literacy. Mm. You know, can you read an income statement? They're not that hard to read. Mm. They've got all the ways you make money, followed by all the ways you spend mm. money. And then at the bottom, you take all the money that came in mm. and you subtract it from all the money mm. that you spent. And that's either a profit or a loss. Mm. That's how that works. Yeah. And then there's no, something known as a balance sheet. And you have assets and liability and equity. And assets always equals the liability plus the equity. That's why it's called a balance sheet, because they're always in balance means that that whatever you have in assets you have to have balanced in either things you owe other people or money or assets you've stored away and if you can't make that work there's something out of whack about the business hmm. once you learn those basics you actually have a lot of room to do some magical things because you can talk about how uh, this expense will become an asset if you you do it right. So what I hear you saying, actually, is which is really good, uh, we don't need to learn about business to communicate our own worth. We need it to become better designers. We need to become better designers. Yeah. We need yeah. it to be able to yeah. talk the language of the business yeah. people because it's way easier for us to learn how to talk their language mm. than it will be for us to try to teach them how to talk our language. Mm -hmm. Again, it's about getting in the room and having that common language. Mm. And we don't have to be... You know, I know lots of people who English is their second language who do just fine in 99% of the conversation that we have. And they learned English, and I did not take an effort to learn their language. The only language I've ever studied is Spanish, and I studied it for three years, and all I can say is I have a red pencil, <laughs> and it never comes up in conversation, primarily because I never have a red pencil. And the, uh, uh, but if it, I can't speak a word of Spanish, not true, I can, I can order chicken in a restaurant. But if they can speak English, now we can have a conversation. And if I bother to learn Spanish, if I was in a community where I needed the people around me to, to communicate and they don't know English, my learning Spanish would be the easier way for me to accomplish that versus me sitting them all down and trying to teach them English. Yeah, That's how that works. And so I need to, to, uh, to learn the language of business. It turns out that once you learn the language business, you realize that executives only care about five things. Right? They either care about increasing revenue, decreasing costs, increasing the number of new customers that come into the business, increasing the amount of revenue that comes from existing customers, and looking after the long-term viability and sustainability of the business, which they, they use the phrase shareholder value, which wigs out people who don't want to be capitalists. Mm. But it, it does, it, it's not a capitalist thing. It's just a code word that everybody in business uses for long-term sustainability. And that's it. Once you learn that those are the only five things, you can start to recast business. So if I'm working on a design, how is this design either going to increase revenue, decrease costs, increase how we get new customers, increase the money we get from existing customers, or help the long-term sustainability of business? If I can't put my design idea into one of those, one or more of those five categories, mm -hmm. there's no way any executive is going to pay attention to it. And, and if I think I'm, that 
is the real seat at the board. That understanding, learning that understanding about the business, you don't, yeah. you don't need an actual seat on a board anywhere as a UX. Understanding this aspect of business is, is our, our key to that door. Yeah, I mean, I don't need, think we need to be in that room. No, we don't, because if you understand this, that, yeah. that, that need vanishes. I mean, you know, the executives are actually talking about this stuff all the time. They're always telling us what, um, what their priorities are. We just are choosing not to listen, and we just say, okay, but let's talk about type. Okay, so how does type help me increase the number, the amount of revenue, decrease the cost, increase the the uh, number of new customers, increase the existing business, long-term sustainability? If you can tell me how type does that, I'm all ears. If you can't tell me how type does that, why are we talking about type? And and you know we can take a design system. And we can say, well, a design system will decrease cost because it'll allow developers to get things up faster. We can get things that fit the look and feel of the product better. It will actually help us with existing customers because we can actually get them to use parts of the product they're not using today because it no longer looks completely different. And they can use the things they learned in that part of the product over in this part of the product. So we suddenly get new customers from or existing customers from that. It will help with new customers because it will make us look like we are a thoughtful, coherent business. So we will actually attract customers because they will see just in the demo that everything feels and looks the same and they won't have to learn new things every time they move to a new set of the menus, which is going to increase overall revenue. Oh, and by the way, this is going to help our long-term sustainability because keep it that cost down, right? I can put that design system in that Mm. phrase Mm. and I can talk about it in terms of the business Mm. and never even utter the phrase design system. Mm. And the exec doesn't give a shit about the design system. Mm. They care about how am I going to decrease costs? How am I going to increase new business? How am I going to increase existing business? How am I going to increase overall revenue? How am I going to get shareholder value? And that's the, the, the conversation. And it wasn't that hard to learn. Mm. We, it's only hard because we've never thought about it before, and 90% of what we do, we can't put into that model because we've never put into that mm-hmm. model because we've been unconsciously incompetent about business. And in the show notes, we're going to link to that blog post you wrote about 10, 12 years ago about exactly this, which I have been stealing from since then. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been mumbling about this for 12 years, and damn it, no one listens. <laughs> Well, we're listening out. Thanks so much for joining us, Jared, and it's so nice to see you in Stockholm. It was very nice to see you in Stockholm. One of the things that I think about there is, is that often I find that one of the most satisfying things about the work I do is when other people, um, I've got other people to make kind of good design decisions. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's kind of ironic, really, that the, the the most satisfying part of my job sometimes is when I don't do my job. <laughs> no, yeah, but no, I I know what you mean because I, uh, I I really felt something when he said that about the whiteboard. You you walk up to whiteboard, you draw something, and the team just gets it, and then you can just walk out, and my work is done here. <laughs> but the even better part is when one of the other members of the team walks up to the whiteboard, does that little bit of sketching. And you just sit there in silence, and you do absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's you see, what you're that, saying. Exactly. <laughs> that that you know because because at that point you get that you get that feeling. You just sit there and go, they're, they're, they're there. 
Yeah. They've, you know, especially if it's a, something you've been working with for a while and you've gone through the other stage, you've been there and you've done mm. the kind of frustrating amount of minutes in front of the whiteboard or in front of another tool trying to kind of create something that communicates what you're trying to achieve. And then that day when you can sit there in, in the meeting and, and, and almost be completely silent and it works, that mm. is incredibly satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But this, I think, is one of those interviews, one of those shows where um, there's, there's some really good stuff that um, Jared said and said in his talk. Um, and, and I think we, we either skimmed over it fast or it's worth giving a few more minutes to just taking a, a breath and listing it maybe a bit more structured. Right. Yeah, I agree. So um, one of the things that... Um, Jared talked about was growth stages of, of understanding mm-hmm. um, and, and I think we, we mentioned it briefly towards the end of the interview with him um, and these were the pers- personal growth stages so Jared talked about how you have inconscious sorry unconscious incompetence and you know you're rubbish and you don't know it right so before you learn how to drive a car you don't know how bad you are at driving the car yeah, yeah, you're just mm. you're just you're completely oblivious. Mm. Um, yeah. Then you have conscious incompetence. Mm. This is where you're you're rubbish and you know it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've your, all been there. Your first driver's ed lessons. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, mm. um, and then then we've got conscious competence. Mm. You're you're good and you actually know it, mm. and you're doing well. Yeah. Then we have. But you still have to concentrate to do good. Yeah. Exactly. So that moves you then on to unconscious competence. Mm. When you can be good without thinking about it. Right. You're habitually just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, so so this is the, these are the kind of four growth stages, the personal growth stages that Jared um, went through. It's very good to think like this. That everyone, everyone probably is in one of these four places. Right. Then, go on. No, he, he was also saying, so when, he was, when you were moving between those stages... He also called it, you're moving actually from literacy to fluency to mastery. Uh, yes. And he used those words in the interview as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and then we get the, the language um, analogy, which I think is an excellent analogy that, that um, Jared uses, both mm-hmm. in the context of, of, um, of design and also uh, of business. Um, exactly. And even this uh, aspect of should designers learn how to code, and will that make them better designers? It makes them better designers because they now can speak the language. Uh, so it's all about communication. Yeah. Better the communication is between team members, the better results you will get. Yeah. And that is so, what he's after. Exactly. So if, if you can learn to speak French and mm-hmm. Spanish, you can talk to people better who have French and Spanish as their native language. Mm-hmm. Just like if you learn more about programming and learn more about business, you can speak more clearly and easily with the people from those worlds. Yeah. So then we move on to Jared's growth stages of organizational UX. Right. Um, this is this is kind of UX maturity in organizations. So in the, in the very beginning, you have the dark ages where there's no UX design at all. Mm-hmm. And then you have the spot UX design. He used that term, where there's occasional UX. You do some UX. You're aware that there's something that is UX, and you you incorporate it into some of the work you do. Yeah. And then um, UX design as a service. We mentioned this during the interview, where a UX team is serving projects. And, and uh, this is tr- this is for a long time where we thought it was the kind of end of the maturity scale. 
Mm-hmm. But we've you know we've we've got there. We've people are listening to us. People are asking us to do stuff. Um, we're you know job done. But it goes on. Right, and then you have embedded UX design, which we also talked a bit about. But that's when the project teams get their own resources. So you're actually more uh, self-sufficient. You you take care of your own team, and you can actually t- make decisions. You're not being requested to do stuff by other people. Mm. But even that isn't the end. There right. was one. There was one more stage that um, Jared mentioned, which was infused UX design. And this ties in with what we we just talked about with language. That it, this is where every project team member has fluent design skills, and so so everyone in the organization is capable of making design decisions. They're, they're, they think about the user in every aspect of what they do. Right. So and this is where you, as a designer, your job would basically be making sure that everyone in the organization understands the value of design and how to make design decisions. Everyone is fluent in everyone's language. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> it's, the ba- it's the Babel fish of UX. Can it be done? <laughs> Can it be done? We'll see. Uh, and then I think to, to, to wrap up the very end of our interview, um, Jared gives us a run through, a little business lesson, and talks about the five, five things that matter in business. And I know you repeated them several times towards the end, but Jared did it very fast. Mm. Um, so we can do it again now, but a little bit slower. Yes. So the first one is increase revenue and then decrease costs increase how we get new customers increase the money we get from existing customers and then the long-term sustainability of the business uh, which can translate to shareholder value yeah god that was wonderfully um educational yes slowly delivered well i can hear all those pencils jotting down all this stuff now <laughs> the clatter of little keyboards <laughs> <laughs> so um thank you for listening uh, we love to hear from you um, so you can you can email us um at um, hey at uxpodcast.com um, the email address should be visible or even linked in the episode blurb that you can see directly in your podcast client remember to keep moving See you on the other side. Who's there? Amish. Amish who? Really? You don't look like a shoe. Ugh.